Hey everybody, welcome on location with Deer Talk Now. I'm Daniel Schmidt with my good friend and icon hero, Bob Robb. Bob, thanks for joining us on the uh, Deer Talk Now uh, mobile podcast. Glad to be here, Dan. You know, we're on our annual hunt here in northeastern Wyoming where it seems like we always shoot a deer on the first day because this place is great. <laughs> always shoot a deer and always have fun. And always have a good time, mostly. Which is great. You know, out here, this is the topic that comes to hand with a lot. Now, we're on an outfitted hunt. You know, we're not going to disguise that. It's a great place, Trophy Ridge Outfitters. We've hunted here for over a dozen years. But I know a lot of my friends and even the deer and deer hunting fans, they come out to Wyoming, Colorado, Montana, and they hunt public land. But one thing that um, I get a lot of questions on, is it feasible? Is it feasible for a guy who lives, you could be in-state or be even out-of-state, is, is public land hunting really that feasible? Well, and the answer is yes, it is. And I, I've been a public land hunter all my life, basically. Um, it's easier today to find areas of public land that have a certain species that you want to hunt. You know, for us it's whitetails, but it could be birds or it could be elk or whatever. All the states now have on their website directories that show you public land access areas, um, hunt programs where they work with landowners to grant access, um, public national forest. So you can find that information on the website. It's easy to find. The question is, how do you find an area within that, that little piece of public land that will make you a successful hunter? And so to be successful, it's directly proportional to how much work do you yeah. put into it. And it's not the work you put when you get to the hunt, that's important, but it's your research that you do before. And it takes months and months and months. And it also, what I found, and I think you, you'll back me up on this, if I find an area of public land to hunt, generally speaking, the first year that I hunt it, it's kind of a scouting mission, really. Because you, you have Onyx, and you have Hunt Stand, and you have all those neat things, and you have maps, and you have information, and you have chat rooms and all that. But nothing replaces the knowledge you gain by actually being on the ground. Right? 100%. So the first year you go there, don't set your expectations too high, learn the land, figure it out. Maybe that area that you found doesn't pan out. So when I do public land hunts, I try to find one or two or three areas within a reasonable driving distance of each other. So if the first one doesn't work out, boom, I can move on to the next one. So that first year I'm learning the area. Second year, I'm ready to get at it. Third year, it's good. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I actually wrote a story like that for DDH years ago, it was called the three-year plan. And um, that was when I hunted exclusively public land at home. I did it for 20 years, as you know, before I got this job. And um, it always, if it was even within the state, um, you know, three, four hour drive from home, it always took, because back then we'd go to the library, we'd get out the aerial photos, we'd look at that, and we did all that work. And the one thing that I would always tell people, even today, if you're using like a hunt stand app, you look at it and it looks awesome and then you get out there and the deer don't behave the way you think they should like oh this is a natural runway they got to come through no they don't actually don't have to come through there or there could be a lot of guys that have already figured that out and i always said that to mirror what you said was you get out there what really that first year obviously is intel on the property that you're hunting and then you gotta maybe plan a couple other things to do so you just don't that disappointment level isn't so high when you don't see a deer or get a deer that maybe you take those first couple years I, and I know guys that are really successful they go out and they have success and more power to them but it is it requires some really intense studying it does and, and the thing that you have to understand is that not only do you have to look at the terrain features but there are climatic um, 
issues as well. The weather might be hot one year, there might be a drought, there might be a lot of rain. The neighboring ag agricultural crops might change and that'll change deer patterns. The natural food crop, there might not be an acorn crop this year. You have to factor all this into it and you can gather a lot of information like that. Uh, you can gather a lot of that information before you even think about going by looking at at newspaper accounts and go on the web and look at the weather channel and call the game department game and talk department to those people. Yeah. Try to find a game warden. Game wardens actually like to talk to you if you can track one down and that's part of their job. Don't be shy about calling a public servant and ask them questions. That's their job is to talk to you. So be respectful, have questions prepared, don't waste their time, but ask them about, um, hey man, so I read somewhere that there was a big fire in the forest. Has that really changed the deer? Have they moved? There's no water in a pond. Where is the pressure from, for hunters? What part of the season has the most pressure? When can I hunt when there's less people? All kinds of questions, and you package that together into a planning session, and that's when you should plan your hunt. I wanna, personally, when I go somewhere, I wanna go, I don't care about opening weekend usually, I wanna go when the hunting pressure is less, might be during the week, I might hunt Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and let the week, leave the weekends to the local guys, because um, I want less pressure, I want the deer to settle down a little bit. And I might actually go, if I'm there on a weekend, I might use that as a scouting session. I might run and gun the country, and you know, try to figure it out, and see also where the other hunting pressure is, because you know that's gonna affect deer movement. So we're talking specifically about deer hunting. I'll include mule deer in there. I know it's a different species, but you've been doing this a long time. You've hunted a lot of places. Just generically, what states um, do you think still ring true for probably the best public land hunting opportunity? Well, okay, so let's talk about the West just quickly. One of the issues in the West is picking a tag. So a lot of the areas of the West the tags are all on a draw system now, so you have to draw a tag first, right? Same thing in the Midwest, a Kansas, for example. Now you used to be able to get an archery deer tag every year, now you need a point. So you have to understand the tag draw system and when you can get a tag. I like to look at the states that have really good walk-in area hunts on private land. There's a lot of that available where the state will compensate a landowner for allowing the public to hunt there. And it's amazing how many of those places aren't really hunted that hard. Yep. People don't think about it that much. When you get into the big tracts of national forest or BLM land or Bureau of Reclamation lands, um, then the tracts are bigger and the hunting pressure seems to be more spread out. And so it's kind of easier to find isolated areas, but to me the key is to find an isolated area. I want to find an area where the deer are the calmest, yep. right? Now we all know the deer are hunted like crazy and there are no secret spots anymore with the internet and hunt stand and onyx and the chat rooms Some and of the TV YouTube shows, yep. deer and deer, yep. you know. Everybody seems to be able to get information about places, but not everybody is willing to put in the work or the time. And the other thing I think people should understand, if you're going to hunt public and you're going to hunt on your own, often the, the chances of success are directly proportional to how much time you put in, mm -hmm. in the field. So if you think you're gonna drive two days to, from Wisconsin to Kansas, and you're gonna hunt the weekend and kill a deer, pretty man, hard. pretty hard. But if you're gonna spend a week hunting on the ground, your chances go up with every day you're, you're able to hunt. 
I agree with that. The other thing I, I've kind of likened it to is like, if you're a public land hunter, and this is what I used to say back when I did seminars, when I did a lot of public land hunting, you've got to be like an NFL defensive back. You have to have a very short memory because like you get to that spot and there's two trucks parked there. And it's like, oh man, this is, this is no good. Well, come back three days later. And I know that it's not the same, but it, 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 you, you can't look at it like, oh, there was guys on this, so it's not going to be any good. You have to know the land. And the other thing, too, is um, I think a, a minute, misnomer there is guys think, oh, I have to travel out west to do this because they have so much public land. I know places in Illinois along that that's Mississippi right. corridor that is just, it's like wildlife management areas. That's fabulous bow that's hunting. exactly right. Nobody bow hunts. That's it. exactly correct. Because it's a little bit harder to access and, you know. You don't have to travel a long way from home to find public land yeah. hunting in most places. Yeah. You know, again, you want to find areas that don't have a, a massive amount of hunting pressure. And like you said, th the other thing that I find about hunting public land is you have to be respectful of other people. It's not like when you hunt private property, you control everything. You control access, you control pressure, you control everything. On public land, you control nothing. And the rule is, even if you've done your research and your planning and whatnot, and you're all excited and you get to your spot and there's somebody else there, it's their spot for the day. Yep. You just need to go somewhere else. That's and common that, courtesy. That's common courtesy and that's just the way it is. And if someone has killed a deer in that spot, help them drag it out. Get, shake their hand, take their picture, you know, and ask them some questions. Like, okay, where did the deer come from? Where was he bedding? What was he eating on? And that's information you can use for your own hunt going downstream. That's, you know, a great point that I, uh, turkey hunting, public land. If there's a guy working a gobbler, do not try to get in between that do guy not. and that gobbler. And do not try to, like, I, I've seen guys, well, this is public land. Don't do it. It's common courtesy. You won't want somebody doing it to you. No, it's so, not. and it's the same thing with deer hunting. Now, does that mean that ruins that whole area for you? Depends. You know, it depends upon, yeah. and that's why you need those backup spots. You need backup spots. It's very, very important. And ha like you said, within a close proximity because you never, you never do know. Deer Talk Now is brought to you by Full Range Mounting Systems. These mounting systems are a great way to manage all of your mounts in a stylish and organized manner. We are using their pedestal mount here on the podcast set for two shoulder mounts, and it looks just awesome. Be sure to check out their mounting systems at fullrangesystems.com, and for 15% off your order, use code DTN. Let me use a different species as an example. I elk hunt a lot. I've hunted public land for elk a ton. And what I used to do was I would pre-plan my hunt and I'd find some areas. I would drive my vehicle to a spot, park, and I would backpack in for a day and overnight for one day, maybe two days at the most. Because elk are what I call a pocket animal. It's a huge drainage, but they might only be found in one little pocket. So I would like cover ground like crazy. If there were no elk, Back out to my vehicle, I go to spot B. Boom. Sooner or later, I found them, and I'd have that hunting to myself. Same thing for whitetail hunting, only you shrink that down into a smaller area, right? So my plan was there's agriculture over here, and there's public land over here, and I found trails going back and forth for the ag, and I think, well, they're just going to become to this bedding thicket, but they're not. So now what's going on? Well, maybe the acorns are dropping. So now I'm going to move and find an acorn mott. And boom, there's sign there I'm going to hunt. So I'm just moving my little spot from spot to spot till I find the deer. And it just takes time. And I know those elk hunts for you, there's been so many that you've documented over the years. And I know those are 
just been tremendous hunts, but what are some of the best, uh, give me an example of like one of the best public land whitetail hunts you've ever done. Wow. So I went to Kansas one year to a walk-in area that was known for pheasants, basically along a river. I won't say exactly where, but along a river. Of course not. You know, <laughs> along a big river corridor. And there was a bunch of agriculture there. And the pheasant hunters were working it because the, it was one of those areas where the government paid the, the farmers to let people hunt, right? Well, it was pheasant season and the pheasant hunters were out. Well, they drove all the deer out of the cornfields into this river corridor. There weren't any deer hunters at the time, but me, because I saw what was going on and I just picked a tree stand, set it up and shot 150 inch deer wow. there. You know, it was just one of those deals where, and I did it the first day. It was just crazy luck, you know, but just thinking, well, if there's deer living in the corn, which deer like to live in corn, and you've got dogs and pheasant hunters, where are they going to go? Boom, to the river corridor where nobody is. Let's just see what happens. That's a great tip because um, one thing that, like, you know, back by us, the, the public lands are smaller, like the state lands especially. And I always said don't um, dismiss the parking lot and what I meant by that was like people would always park and think I've got to go a mile there was always a mile back into the woods and some of those little areas just off the parking lots would be places where they logged might be thicker might be adjacent to private land and lo and behold a Wednesday a Thursday morning you get in there with a climber up by us you can't put uh, tree pegs in the in the trees and you can't cut any shooting lanes but you'd get some nice little spots and I've killed some deer like that um, really close into spots, like you said, this pheasant area, spots you think, like, oh, there's not going to be any deer there, especially any bucks, you know. And that's a really good um, example, a good point. Just try to think outside the box a little bit, you know, because you want to try to find a pocket that's not being pounded. You know how, how whitetail bucks are. They just want to be left alone, right? Right. So they might be left alone two miles from the road. They might be left, left alone 200 yards from the road. Just depends on what's going on at the time. This episode is also brought to you by Moultrie. Moultrie Mobile's Edge Trail Camera is affordable and easy to set up. The camera works on multiple networks nationwide and even has built-in storage. That means no SD card required. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. So on that same topic, we're talking about going far back in. The latest news, I see you know, you're a big supporter of the Sportsman's Alliance, and they've been reporting on this is um, the whole, um, what do you call it, uh, the fence crossing issue. What is it? I know what it is, but let's explain that to some of the listeners as to what's going on. Okay, so in a nutshell, out west, there's vast tracts of public land that are often landlocked by private lands. And, and this all came to pass back in the 1800s when the, when the settlers came out and lands were issued in sections, square sections with corners. And over time, <coughs> excuse me, those, those sections have gotten smaller and sold off or whatever. But there are still areas where just two little corners of public land touch and preclude you from accessing vast acreages of public land or you'd be trespassing. So the way this all came about was four non-resident hunters from Missouri were elk hunting in Wyoming, they built a ladder that they put over the top of this corner on a fence corner. Genius. And they did not touch the, pub, the private land to access public land, and they had fabulous elk hunting. They were, 
They were sued by the landowner. The and hang on, before you get into that, they actually shot elk and then took yes. them back over that land. Yes, too, they did. Yes. <laughs> and so they, they were sued by the landowner who said that they trespassed. And even by, though they didn't touch the Even land. though they didn't touch the ground, and in so doing, uh, if, they, if this was allowed to stand as a legal, legal way to access public land, it would reduce the value of his ranch land by a lot. And this was a rich, non-resident ranch owner, um, yada, yada, yada. It went to court in Wyoming. The court upheld the hunters and said that, in fact, the landowner did not own the airspace and they could access public land that way. Well, immediately Montana issued, uh, their courts issued a statement to their residents saying, don't think this is legal in Montana. It's still not settled law and it's not settled law yet. But this is a, a huge case for public access to to our own nat national forest and BLM lands that have been landlocked for decades by rich landowners who assume that, say they own a 640-acre ranch, but it's, it landlocks thousands and thousands of acres of public land, so now they have they can sell outfitted hunts on this place. They make a lot of money off it. Right. And they're trying to keep Joe Schmuck, like you and I, out of there. And for this to stand for us as public land hunters is gigantic. Well, I, you know, the th this is the thing. And now, you guys correct me if I'm wrong here, but I cannot envision a scenario where somebody would be against the public land hunt. If you're going to go against, if you're going to go through all that, number one, the public land touches. And number two, you're going through all the trouble of going through there with a ladder, not to touch the private yep. guy's land. How could you possibly argue that and how could Montana possibly say you know well we're gonna let the courts decide on this well the, you know and the hunters were upfront about this they're like we are very respectful of public yeah. land we do not want to trespass we just want to access our land right. we own this land you know the the private ranch owner does not own public land nor does he own the game that's on that land so this is this is going to go through the courts it's going to work its way down it's something that everyone who's a non-attached, average everyday hunter needs to follow and support this case. And the Sportsman's Alliance is a group that's- They're a great group for and, doing And that. another group called Backcountry Hunters and Anglers yeah. have helped drive this. In fact, one of their Backcountry Hunter and Angler members is an attorney from California who took the case pro bono for the, the Missouri hunters awesome. to send it through the courts. It's a huge case. And, you know, as, as a public, I grew up hunting public land, you know? And I still hunt a bunch of public land. We're not rich guys. We're, no. we're like, you know, we're just working guys like everybody else. Yeah, we get to hunt some places, but we mostly hunt public land. And unless we can continue to have access to public land and good hunting on public land, hunting is going to become nothing but a rich man sport. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I know some would argue, and even I would argue, that it already has. I mean, like, just with lease prices and land prices, yeah. and it's pushed the average guy to the fringe areas. I'm a fringe guy. I've got nine acres. That's all I own. You know, and uh, you know, you hunt public land. Yeah, you get to go on some trips because we work in this industry. We've done it for such a long time. But um, the public land hunting, number one, it, it, as an industry, we have sat there and lobbied like we have to do something about access, access, access. We got to get access to more uh, land for more people. And you see it through, uh, you know, uh, forest crop land, and you see it through. Other programs, um, set aside land that like Missouri's got tons of it, um, Iowa's got some, Illinois's got some, 
and there's certain things like that. But in this, especially if you're talking about national land, even state land, we have a lot of, a lot of state land back home that's landlocked. You have landlocked 40s. And then you have the fortuitous um, private landowner who buys a 40, and you can't get to that state land because he has it in front of you. And he's taken, of course, I would take advantage of it. Sure. I've got all that land to my access. That speaks to greed, and that'd be another topic for another day. But as far as, um, like, this guy that you're mentioning, or the, whoever it was, who is now selling outfitted hunts, that's double slap in the face. Because, number one, that's my land to access anyways as a public as public land. And, number two, now you're making money off of it because I somehow legally can't get to it. Yeah, I, I don't like it, and you shouldn't like it. You should lobby to have access to public land. And, and some places, for example, in Montana, they have what they call schoolhouse land, which was set aside decades and decades ago, ago for, oh, yeah, that's right. for uh, eventually they would sell off that land to use to uh, fund public education. Well, one of the laws there is that there has to be an easement to schoolhouse land through private property. Well, they don't advertise the easements. You back in the day, I would go to a, a land office and I looked at maps and all that, and I found easements and I got fabulous hunting access to public land that was essentially landlocked because the owner's not going to tell you there's a public. That is a great point you know? that everybody should so. know if you find it, because I found it with lakes, Kettle Lakes in northern Wisconsin that we used to fish, where you'd look at it and they'd, people have plastered no trespassing signs all yeah. over it, even though. Like they owned land up to it, but there'd be an easement that was not talked about. And unless you go there knowing, because you got guys with dogs chasing you and stuff like that, right. it's like, no, this is public and I'm going to access it. And you're going to, you know, there, there are certain situations with that with public hunting ground uh, that you need to know about. I've had many arguments over the years with ranchers who told me I was trespassing and I had the documentation with me. This is, this is GPS coordinates and all that. No, nope, I'm accessing a public corridor. I will not trespass. I don't trespass. Did that ever turn you off? It's turned me off. Like, 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 ah, you know what? I'm not going to deal with that guy. You know? I mean, have you, de have you dealt with those situations where it just got to be too much of a burden? No, because I'm hard-headed, and I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm going to make him suffer, you know? And they were like, we're going to call the game wardens. Call him. Call him. Please do. See, I need more Bob's resolve, because sometimes I just give up. Please do, uh, you know? <laughs> but this is a big case, and it's something that everyone should follow. It's going to go on for years and years and years, and every state is going to have their own their own ruling on it at some point, I think. Um, there's all kinds of crazy laws. And here's a crazy law that's driven me insane for decades. In Wyoming, where we are now, there's a lot of public land, National Forest and BLM. There's also a lot of wilderness area, wilderness area being an area where it's all roadless, yada, yada. In a wilderness area, by law in, in Wyoming, a public guy can do whatever you want. You can go backpacking, hiking, fishing, camping, you cannot go hunting as a non-resident without an outfitter. Really? That's the law. And the reason that they say you can't do that is because it's for your safety. Even though you can do any of those other things. And this has been challenged in court and upheld. Now, does that make sense to no. anybody? No. Not does at that all. make sense? Zero. Absolutely no. It, I can go hiking back in there and risk falling down a, a cliff. Anything. Yeah. But it's for your safety. And it's it was a law that was supported by the Wyoming Outfitters Association. Mm -hmm. And that's, I don't, I don't. It makes that. absolutely no sense at all. Yeah, that sounds like some kind of kickback going on there. So because anyway. that, that's, and that's the thing that you talk about in the, the groups like the Sportsman's Alliance. They do fight to oh preserve our rights 
as just citizens to be able to do. Like you said, if it's public land, there should be no reason that you can't hunt on it. Absolutely not. And, um, and, I, and I will say this, please check out the Sportsman's Alliance. They are not a lobbying group like a uh, Ducks Unlimited or whatever, which are all great conservation organizations that do great stuff. The Sportsman's Alliance it fights things on the legal front. People trying to take away the animal rights groups, they are great at fighting the animal rights groups and the anti-hunters. A great organization. They're one of the few that I actually give money to because I really believe in it. They are a great cause. And it, it, it's, a, it's a non-profit. It's a great They're cause. They're one of the, I'd say the, one of the good guy groups that everybody should at least look into and support. They are. Okay, that's the abbreviated version of this uh, episode of Deer Talk Now. Make sure you check out all the podcasts, whether you're listening to podcasts or watching the podcast on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, etc. I'm Daniel Schmidt for Bob Rob. Join us again next week. These drop live every Thursday um, on all the podcast platforms for Deer and Deer Hunting's Deer Talk Now. Deer Talk Now is brought to you by 10 Point Crossbow Technologies. Whether I'm in a tree stand, ground blind, or spot and stalk hunting, I know the Nitro 505 is up to any challenge. Check one out at a dealer near you or log on to 10pointcrossbows.com for more information.